listening to the Derek Sante Podcast, the show that brings you insightful conversations about everyday topics. We just aim to keep the discussion above the average. Our guests are the ones bringing the social proof to the conversation. Let's get into it. I'm your host, Derek Sante, and today we're kicking it with my older brother. I just, first of all, need to let you know um, that I love you, respect you for everything that you re- represent. I'm talking about from your flaws, your vo- uh, vulnerabilities, your strengths, and all of that good stuff. This conversation is also a great opportunity for me to experience your journey from your vantage point and not my own. So without further ado, please help me welcome my brother, Joseph Jojo Asante. Welcome. Hey, appreciate that, little bro. So, First of all, thanks for making the time because I know the schedule and the work-life balance and all that is kind of off for both of us. But I appreciate you uh, making this work. And I'm actually excited to kind of find out, you know, from your lens, (laughs) what the journey has been like. Um, For my lens, for my lens, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now, I usually usually open every episode with a quote. And... um, the quote I have for you, I'm going to share it with you, and I want you to tell me what comes to mind when you hear that. All right? Yeah, let, let me hear that. Let me hear that. All right. It reads, growth is painful. Change is uncomfortable. But there is nothing as devastating as staying trapped in a place you don't want to be. And what comes to mind when I hear that? Yeah. A good chunk of my life, really. Explain. Um, just those words really hit deep, for real, for real. Growth is painful. You know, like most of us, we don't really know what to expect <clears throat> as far as growth and age. You know, as you go through it, it's kind of like trial and error type of thing. But for me, what I mean by that is. There's been a lot of um, trial and error, you know what I mean? Like ups and downs. Mm -hmm. I'm a quiet, private person, so I don't really externalize a lot of the emotions and the feelings. I internalize most of it. But those words resonate with me as far as how I move and how I operate. Um, Do me a favor. When you're speaking, try to make sure you're speaking into your phone, right? Okay. So I wanted to speak to you about, obviously, your journey, how you navigated um, the many circumstances, right? So I want to start from the beginning, coming to Canada. Now, <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me... in our time now, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell me what you remember when we first came to Toronto. Um... Well, the... the the, the one experience that hasn't left me really there was, okay, so the flight, you know, KLM. Right. All Africans know KLM. <laughs> so we, we had we had two stewardess, right? Yeah. I don't know if you, you actually remember this. Like, we had two stewardess assigned to us. Mm-hmm. So we get we get to um, Pearson, and one has your hand, one has my hand, and it's like, we walked through the, you know, the cubicles and all of that stuff. 
And she started, she asked me first, she's like, okay, do you think you can find your mom? And in my head, I'm thinking, wait, amongst all these people? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mind you, this is just a thought. Like, I'm not saying like I'm voicing this out loud, yeah, yeah. but the English didn't that right. well at this point. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm supposed to find mom in all of these people? <laughs> so I just nod my head. I don't remember looking at you, but we start walking through the airport. Yeah. We did about a full circle, and we walked through the whole place, and, and we didn't see her, I didn't see her. So that was the end of that. We came back, we ate, they gave us some juices, I remember that. And then we went for another walk again. And it was that walk, I remember. But during that time, they had like a, a section where Bell pay phones were just lined up. I mean, tens of them, like hundreds of them. And it was within that, that little, like we were just walking by it. I turned my head and I see a lady on the phone. And I stopped walking. They stopped, like, you know, the stewardess stopped walking. You stopped walking. And I just keep staring at her. And something told me, oh, that's mom. That's mom. Mm. So we start walking towards the phone. And I shout, Ma! Mind you, she was on the phone. Like, yeah. I shout again, Ma! And she turns and drops the phone. Abla! <laughs> 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 and there were people standing around her, but I didn't know like they were with her. Yeah. Everybody started running towards me. And then, you know, you let go. And it was like, that's how that's how it happened. Like, that's how I picked her up. Like, yeah. literally. It was like a kinetic energy type thing. I just stopped. I said, nah. I looked at her and I just shouted. Yeah. And she responded. And that's how we found our mom in the airport, bro. That was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'll man. never forget that day, bro. And then you know, you know, during like okay, after we all got together and everything, it was a bright sunny day. Like was, I think it was in August, right? Yeah, or yeah, June, July, or something. One of them. One of them. It was August. I think it was August because mm. yo, it was bright outside, and they had winter jackets for us, but they didn't show us yet. So Mom was like, "Look at the doors opening by themselves, like in 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 trees." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go outside. Go look outside. So I start running outside. And then the doors open. And I keep going. I keep going. And then the cold air hit me. You turn. <laughs> uh, Ran back in. The whole family. Everybody's laughing. And then they gave us our jackets. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember the jackets. Those were, those were the good old, uh, I think they were like, uh, not Zellers. What, was it Zellers? I can't remember. Byway. Byway, that's it. That's it. Byway. But um, okay, so so fast forward, we land, we get home. Home was pretty much uh Flemington. Right? Yeah, Jason, right from the center. Right. So we get there. Do you remember when um you know dad came to pick us up? Do you remember that day? I remember, I, I remember us getting dropped over at his house. Sorry, 
Yes. That so, happened first before he showed up in our house. Right, 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 right. That's what I meant. Sorry. And I remember that day because we get there and it was a different, like, obviously. Was, Yo, let me. Go for it. Let, go for it. Let me uh, <coughs> clear clear those cobwebs. <coughs> before we leave our house, you know, mom pulled me aside and is like, okay, this is where you're going, blah, blah, blah. With one of, one of her friends that was driving us, who was a cab driver. Mm-hmm. But she gave him all the instructions. All I knew was we were going to our dad's house, right? Right. This dude pulls up. I know you don't remember this. This dude pulls up and tells me to get out. I was in the front, so you in the back. So we both get on and he goes, yeah, go ring that doorbell, that number. Because he knew cops. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be seen as the one helping mom. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we start walking towards the door, he took off, bro. That's what you don't remember. He took off. So once the door opened, this lady's like, hello? Right. I remember the lady. Yeah. And then I was like, uh, I'm looking for so-and-so. And then we were just outside waiting. Yeah. She literally closed the door. And then he had to come open the door. Then we went in. And then he started introducing everybody. This is my wife. Right. This is my son. Right. This is my... <laughs> this is my... This is my... But, so correct me if I'm wrong. My memory, I don't know if it serves me right, but then he dipped shortly after. What happened with that? What was that? Like he left. I felt like he left. I don't know if, if, if I'm correct on that, but I I know he wasn't there. Like he gave us, um, I don't know if it was her or him, but we ended up with a bag, like a black garbage bag with used clothing. Yeah. And that was basically like, you know, supposed to be. You know, like, he left. Yeah, he left yeah, the house. Yeah, he left. I, that, that I remember. I, I wasn't sure if I, if I was right on that, but I know he wasn't there. And I was like, wait a minute, we're stuck with this lady that we don't know and all he has for us is this garbage bag full of secondhand clothing yep and I was like what is this I don't even know how we got home bro I don't remember that either <clears throat> I don't I don't remember how we left that spot I don't remember I don't remember that now now so that happens do you remember um oh my gosh consumers what you mean, bro? <laughs> <laughs> but but do you remember the trip? We were trying to so we were trying to go and get Nintendo. I think that's what we wanted. And it was like, no, 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 no. He he picked up that was when he picked us up. I think that was when he picked us up, took us around, but we ended up going to um I don't remember if it was consumers or zellers, but I got the No, before we got there. <clears throat> We were still at consumers. I was going through the catalog. And I saw the Casio calculator watch. Yes. But that's too advanced. I was was turning 13, I remember. Yes. Or is it 12? I can't remember what which year. No, you were you were you were you were turning. Because we had been here for a while. No. I think it was 12, yeah. 12. It was fresh. It, was, it wasn't It was like, 
too much time. Like, I've been here over six months. Yeah, yeah. So, and my birthday was coming up. So I, I remembered, okay, cool, okay, yeah. So it was 12 around that time, and I asked for that. There, that was the last <laughs> time we saw that dude. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Because I remember getting the the water gun, and I got a, um, a Timex watch. And I didn't even get my watch, bro. No, you didn't get that watch. I just ended up getting a Timex, and I got a hand water gun, one of those Dollarama type things. Because by that afternoon, the shit was leaking. So it was <laughs> it was no good. The watch yeah. lasted a week, and it stopped working. Those were all things from his house, bro. Come on. <laughs> Because we didn't get cases with none of these shit. These right. weren't coming out of packages. Right. But I was just like, wow. And that was it. That was that was my last memory. That was my last memory. Now, okay. I'm going to push forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you filling in the gaps for me now. Now, Lawrence Heights. We get oh. there. What were some of your early memories of Lawrence Heights and the people that you aligned yourself with? Oh man, I wish I, I wish I wish I knew where he was right now. Who's that? Like she? Oh, she Lujan. Yes, Vietnamese cat, bro. Like yes, it's like it's like we were sandbox, bro. Yeah, I remember. I remember That's how quick we connected, like. Because that was through summer school, wasn't it? Yeah, that was through summer school. Like, we always acknowledge each other, you know, at school, but we never talked. Mm-hmm. We always in ESL together. Um, he was the only non-black that was kicking soccer ball with me. Because the other ones were Jamaicans and uh, Ethiopians, Somalians. Mm-hmm. And they already had your friend core, right? So... If they always needed an extra body, I was always the one that would fill in. Right. But then she would always join me too. But we were we were good. Like we soccer was our thing, bro. Like yeah, Lawrence Heights Middle School lunch break, we go behind the building, man. We would tear it up there. We would tear it up, and then obviously the Jungle Boys would be right by the building because the, the basketball net was attached to the brick, yeah. the wall, yeah. So they didn't really come into the field. They were always by the concrete. And then eventually we got a, a rim further away from the building by grade seven, I think. Mm. So by then, she, um, his dad was like moving up because his dad was a tech guy, mm-hmm. like an engineer. Yeah. So he wasn't really allowed outside too much. It was more about books, book, book. And then through Chi, I met Ipsa. Right. And Ipsa became my neighborhood kind of watchdog because after school, by five o'clock, Chi couldn't come outside. Mm-hmm. Right. And you were too young. Mom didn't let you come outside after that time either. Yeah. So I would always be hanging out solo, solo, solo until I met Ipsa. Like, I always knew Ipsa at school, but I saw him just randomly walking toward Rodney's house. Mm. You know, that area, like, yeah, just yeah. walking toward, yeah, over the bridge type thing. And I followed him. 
I followed and walked over the bridge. He walked by fools. He walked to Rodney. Because they, they were like neighbors. They were side by side at that time. Right. And that's how I blended in, bro. through Ipsa. And then through Ipsa, how I met Beaster was through Alex. Mm. The Spanish kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were in five, I think he was the one behind us. Got the it. building behind us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so through Ipsa and Alex, my bonds began in Jungle Man. What was what were some of the, the pros and cons uh with Lawrence Heights? Well, you know, the teasing, the African jokes, um the English not being so good. Right. Not knowing the game of basketball, literally, like just not knowing it. I'm hanging with these guys who play the game every day, but as soon as they start playing, it's like I find a corner across my leg and I just walk. Right. It wasn't until the summer of grade seven, like early that summer, Wayne came back from Nova Scotia. Mm. But by that time, I had already, you know, made all these relationships at the school already. So he comes back for like six months of the school year. Mm. And this light-skinned tall guy is like, all about basketball every day. He wants to skip class and go play ball every day. Everybody's following him. Because he used to be in the jungle and then his mom moved to Scotia and then he came back. Got it. When he got older. So everybody was excited to see him again, this and that. So through the summer of that year, you know, it's kind of like everybody in my circle knows this guy and I don't know him. Separate thing. Mm. So, you know, we were at the courts, everybody's playing, the games are over, and we're just walking back home. Right. And just so happened. We we had moved over a bridge at this point. We're at Amaranth, right? Yeah. I walked to 37, he walks right across the street, and he's like, you know, the building right across from us. Yeah, yeah. And he walks in all that shit. This guy's like, right there. Okay. But not knowing, Beaster, Alex, we're, we're close. But Beaster also was closer um Wayne at that time. Mm-hmm. Just through ball. Like, this is all ball relationship, ball relationship, ball relationship. Yeah. So we would meet up at the center. I would just sit, watch. But it was always something about Wayne. He'd be like, yo, why are you always watching? Come play. He'd be like, I can't play. He'd be like, come play. I can't play. Come play. So he would always get me on the court, right? And I would always be on his team. And that's how I built confidence. That's how I got comfortable. And then after everybody would leave the center, bro, like I would hang around. And that's how I, I don't know if you remember Pig. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rest in peace. Bobby Brown. Mm-hmm. Eric James. Tennyson. Yeah. Big George. Like those guys mm-hmm. right there. They would always be there, whether it be in the weight room or just shooting around. And I would just be in there watching them, watching them, and I would just get a ball, go on the other side, just shoot, 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 shoot. And I would watch Big George just hit like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in a row off the backboard. And I would practice that, practice that, practice that, practice that, practice that. To the point where I'll come home and start talking smack to you. 
You don't remember those days, though. Nah, I remember. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm better than you. This and that. Even though we don't play this this game, you know right. what I mean. <laughs> so, so this is this is where I got frustrated because I remember in the house, all you'd watch are all these bloody sports games from hockey to baseball to basketball. And I'm like, I'm not trying to watch any of this. Yep. I just want to watch the cartoons and you're there watching sports. So we're fighting over the control, who's watching what, this and that. And then you come talking basketball talks. I'm not interested and and whatnot. So I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because I was I was trying to figure out where, where this basketball stuff comes from. And the only thing we have in the house is one soccer ball, which you know, disappeared after a while. But I remember how that disappeared. But go ahead. Yeah, man. Like, like I was finally fitting in. You know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong. The English is still not as good. Right. You know what I mean? I'm still a soccer fan. I just have a couple of dudes who hang with the bigger crowd whose biggest interest is basketball. So I'm, always, I'm just always around. I'm always around. Sometimes yeah. I'll be just the rebounder. I'll be the pastor. I'll be... The guy running around this. I, I like I, I was so intrigued by the game. I just wanted to figure out a way to learn it. And then the grade eight summer was was the turning point, really. So before you get to that, what was your experience like with peer pressure before that grade eight period? I was, I think I was pretty good with it until I was accepted. Mm. Once I was let in, bro. And when I say peer pressure, not not saying the drugs and the you know extracurricular activities. No, none of that. Just, yeah, it's the mental aspect, right? It's you 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 can't like you can't do this as far as on the court, off the court. Mm. Or I bet you can't go get that number from that girl. Right, 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 right. Or if we go for pickup runs, you can't guard so and so. Or we're walking through the mall, you can't shoplift that mm-hmm. you know what I mean it was just it was more challenges than peer pressure the peer pressure part came in college right so we'll get to that yeah we'll get to that now did you play in middle school no remember we skipped a grade right right so right. I, everything started for me grade 7 and then grade 8 was where everything started materializing so by the time I got to bathers I had some confidence. I had a little bit of skill. It was just repetition, repetition, repetition from there on. So pretty much your first exposure to organized ball was when you got to Bathurst. Yeah. Okay, so we share that that in common because I didn't obviously play until grade nine as well. Now, how was your transition to Bathurst sites? Oh, it was a battle. Mom and I fought for months over the summer. I remember she didn't want you to go there. First of all, she didn't want you to go to Lawrence Heights. No, she didn't want me to go to Lawrence Heights. She didn't want me to go to Bathurst. I don't remember what school she had in mind, though. Like, I, I don't remember that. I don't even think she, she had Ledbury for you. No, Ledbury just happened because that was uh, the home school for Glen, uh, Glen Park. Yeah, I, don't, I, I remember I had to take a school bus. Yeah. I just don't remember the school name. And I was like, no, I, I done made all these friends in this short time. It took me a while. Like, I've been through too much. No, I ain't going. And at the time, she had um, Jackson visited, Uncle Jackson. Right. From Boston. So he was in my ear, too. And I was like, um, dude, you just here for a little bit. 
I hear you, but I ain't, you know, listening to you type thing. Like, my yeah. ears work, I'm not soaking anything in. So I fought mom, fought mom, fought mom. We had an orientation at the other school. I slept in. She literally pulled the sheets off of me in the morning. We fought. Like, I wasn't taking a shower. I wasn't getting dressed. I wasn't going. So she gave up at that point. And I said, okay, bad as it is. So that's how bad this became. Because everybody I knew in the neighborhood was going there. Right. That was my core. Like, that was my base. I, like, I literally found a purpose now. So I was like, don't. I'm not going anywhere else. So you mentioned earlier the summer of grade eight or after grade eight going into grade nine. Mm-hmm. Something happened there with basketball. Because I remember I was the guinea pig. Yeah, I remember late nights we're dribbling around the neighborhood. Everybody was like, yo, Joe, go to sleep. Stop dribbling every night. Like people knew who it was dribbling that night. Right. Up on that strip. So that, that summer, grade eight summer, I kind of clicked with Wayne as far as just the competition level, being students at the game. But he was tall and he could do so, like everything I wanted to do. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I was like, yo, dude, how the hell, what's going on here? This type of thing. So I would take it for him. And he's like, oh, you should come try out. I said, try out for what? Oop. And Hayford is a part of this equation too. Right. I had met Hayford through, I forget who I met him through, but he was at Lawrence Middle School too. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, it was through an ESL class, but he wasn't, in my circle type thing. But I met, I think I met him through a chick. So he, he and I became close and you know, he was playing soccer, he was playing basketball. So, and he had been around, like he started, he did all the great at uh, Lawrence Heights. So he had a lot of friends. Right. So he made everything easier too. I'm so sorry I messed that up. Like Hayford and Ipsa, those were the two key pillars like, yeah. right there. So through him, I started meeting um, Klepto and them. I don't know if you know I started meeting Klepto and them. I started meeting Seely and them. But talk to me about the, the, your training. Like, what did you do leading up to, you know, that, that? Oh, okay, yeah. So Wayne was a catalyst for that because it's almost like he was told he was going to be making the team and this and that and that he wasn't going to get cut. So he had a lot of confidence. He's like, yeah, I know the coach. I go to the gym all the time. Like, so he was going to Bathurst and the open gym stuff that he knew about it. Mm-hmm. So I followed him one day. JB, Oki, all of the boys were in there. Just pick up, up and down, up and down. Sat in the bleachers and watched. And right after that, Wayne followed me to the court. So we went, we went back over bridge to Amherst, you know, behind our house. Yep. Eric Rose, them area, right there, that court. And we just shot around, played one-on-one, played one-on-one. And it became a thing every night. So every night after center, we would go battle. Every night, we would go to the courts and we would play one-on-one. There would be crowds there, so we would pick up or it would just be us. The beauty of it is the highway was right there, so the highway light reflected off the court. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter what time you were there, there was always light. You could see the rim. Yeah, because that was before they put the wall up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how that's how it all started. So we actually made it a nightly run amongst us. Slowly, slowly, slowly. And then at the end of that summer, he's like, yo, NATO's not gonna cut nobody. Like he he was told like if he can bring players, but NATO didn't have enough midgets mm-hmm. and juniors. Like he was just focused him and Cooper were focused on the on the seniors only. Right. 
So just to wear the mouth like that, like, you know, April is like, he's going. And then after school, Wayne's like, he's going, he's telling me to come. Beaster was involved at the time. Like, a lot of, a lot of guys were just going. Yeah. Um, later on that night, or I think later on that, that summer, Hayford is like, yeah, but there's going to be crowds. People are going to come watch. And I was, I got scared. They would have to play in front of people. He goes, yeah, don't you watch basketball? That's sad. <laughs> so that became like a hurdle to get over. So now it's like, you can't just watch in the center. You got to play in the center. Right. In front of people that know you. So that journey started and slowly and surely confidence built. And then, at what level, like, at what level did you become um, a starting point guard? And what was what were those battles like to even earn a spot like that? Like, was it juniors? Was it midgets? Like, when did you become a starting point guard? I became a starting point, I think, uh, my second year junior. We didn't have a batting team, right? So pretty much, and he didn't cut nobody. So our our junior team, that, but he, he went off of work ethic and who showed up every day for practice. Right, right. So we did two a days. We did the early morning, and we did after school. So who who did? But who did you have to compete with to earn that spot? Who was on that team at that point? Oh, that's a little, uh, man, <laughs> man. Uh, Julie Allen comes to mind right away. Yeah, I can't remember everybody, bro. But there, there was a lot of competition, bro. Like, there's, I listen. There was always competition. That I can't forget. Like, there's always dude, competition. Like, I, come on, man. Like, I, it took me. <laughs> Like the beginning of my third year, yeah, which was like okay, you're junior, but you're senior age. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. We skipped, we skipped a, a year, so yeah. it was like we were we were with the pack, but we're really young boys, right? So I had an extra year, which was the OAC year, right? Mm-hmm. So the year before that is really where I took off. That's where I became a front all star and all that. That's where Stevie and them came into the picture and all that. Mm-hmm. So like, it wasn't just neighborhood boys. Right. Putting on Baptist jerseys. It was actually ballers putting on Baptist jerseys. Yeah. You know I mean, so it was a different shirt. But yeah, man, like the competition, Derek, it was, oof. I read those, those teams, man, those teams were. And you know, were there special. was no walking the ball up. Like it's right. pushing the ball, full right. court press. <laughs> yeah, man. It was hard, man. Like, but it was also fun, too, because the, <laughs> I don't want to cuss, but the, the trash talking. Oh, yeah. Afterwards was beautiful. Oh yeah, we're all in the center competing and talking at the same time. Right, it was beautiful. It was nice. I remember. It's funny when I think about it. A lot of people don't realize that all it took was one summer of dedication to the game. That was it. To not just play the game, but understand the game, because those are two different things. Yo, there was um, like right now today. I'll run into people. Marble, a couple other guys. Yeah. Nobody's name out there like that, but he's one dude I really, I really fucks with. Like, Marble's my guy. Mm-hmm. You know, when all, all this said and done, I was up on Finch. There's a little strip mall over there, and I was just grabbing some things. And Marble saw me, bro. Like, he, like, he let me know what was up. He's like, dude, good to see you. He's, are you still balling? I'm like, no, nah, I gave that thing up a while ago. There's a working man now, you know? And he's like, he was so humble with it. He's like, yo, <laughs> I couldn't tell you then, but now I can tell you now. Like, you were one, you were one of those cats. Like, you know what I mean? You picked it up so fast. You didn't 
Like he didn't waste no time learning the game. And that was nice to hear, you know what I mean? Because yeah. when you're in the trenches, when you're going through it, most 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 won't tell you that. No, no, no. Most will never tell you that because you're the competition. Why would they, right? Right. Um, and if you weren't in the competition, they would envy any little success you might have gotten. So yeah. that was just the nature of it. I mean, crabs in a barrel, so everybody's going to go for their own. Now, yeah. who who are some of your favorite teammates throughout your high school years? Ooh, great question. In the early years, Wayne, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> Randy Nelson, you probably won't remember yep, him. Yeah, I remember Randy, tall dude, center. Yep. Yeah. Ronald James. Yep. Ronald James is my anchor man. He protected me so many days when you know we would be on the road, have rough games. Yeah. Some of them would be you know caused by the guards and shit. Yeah. And some of the you know old heads will, will let us know like, yo, this ain't cutting it. But Ronald will always come to the rescue. Yeah. Always motivate you. And like I. I I'm forever indebted to the James family, man. Like Eric James, yeah, locked me in the gym one summer. Like I wasn't even in the summer, just a couple months. Like every time I showed up in the center, he was there, and I'd be like, "Yo, I would love to just keep doing this every Sunday." He's like, "If you show up, I'm here." But the big man played every Sunday, yeah, yeah, yeah. evening, afternoon. But he would show up early just to mess with me. Yeah, you remember? So that really helped me a lot. He wasn't a teammate, but through him, his brother became one of my favorite teammates. Mm. Simeon Powell. Yeah. Steve Morrison. Like, that dude loved the game so much. Student of the game. Like, um, there are a couple of teammates that I didn't play with, but they were yours. That I loved how they thunk the game and played it. Who's you know, that? like, Who are you thinking of? Yourself, Denim. Mm. Yeah. Brendan Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Liberty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we had some dogs, bro. Like, we yeah. had some, some hoopers. It's just the eyeballs weren't on us at the time. Yeah. Like, Junior Brown, bro. Junior Brown. <sighs> Paul McFerlin, like, Pookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace to G, man. That was, Mitch, Mitch was a, a real one. Oh, Gary sure. Mitch. The late yeah. edition. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, like, if, if we had, like, I don't even want to mention Dix. He was my coach. Yeah, you know what I mean. We, we know his legend. Like so many names we're forgetting there. Like oh yeah, no, as, for sure, for sure. As far as just competing, like you know what I mean. Yeah, Jamal McGlure. Yeah, Colin, Colin mm-hmm. Charles. Like yeah, there's so many, so many. The King brothers. You probably don't know them, but no, them I don't know. Yeah, a little older than you. Like Sean Gray. Like so. I remember so him. Many. I only saw him in the men's league when uh, he battled uh, Dix. In that yeah, underground. That, that was the later years. Yeah. That was the later years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, remember. Man. Like, we've had some legends come through this thing, man. Funny, funny. I heard of him, but I didn't know how good he was until I saw that battle between him and Dix. And I was just like, whoa, this Dude, guy that, was... that was like our, our, our Charles Barkley. Like our, our, yeah, man. But he was he nice. Charles Barkley. Like, he was nice. He was nice. Like, Sean Green is our Charles Barkley, bro. Yeah. Like, six yeah. four undersized, played bigger than he looked. Yeah. Serious shit. So I'm going to try and keep pushing through. Now, talk to me a little bit about your circle of friends. So as a teen, I want you to reflect on your circle of friends then and then reflect on um, your circle of friends now as an adult. What's changed? Oh, I think um, it's just uh, maturity, growth. So with the, with the dudes I just mentioned, it was 
it was the neighborhood, it was the high school, it was the environment, it was Toronto. Right. You know what I mean? So that's that was like my first fresh breath of air, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I got to leave this city and go somewhere else and not necessarily try to replicate that, but try to start something there. I had an opportunity for Penn State, but, you know, obviously. I mean, school was easy, played around with it, didn't take it serious. Mm-hmm. But in my later years, it kind of bit me in the butt. You know, I mean, I had two two scholarship opportunities, one for Penn State, one for um, Illinois, Illinois State, and I messed those two up. So I had to come back home, and as soon as I hit, like literally the second day I was back in Canada, it's like made or new my schedule. Because I, 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 I laid it out for him before I left. So he calls me and he's like, are you home, this and that? What are you doing today? I'm like, no, nothing. And they meet by the gym. So I, walk, I, I go in the gym. I think I called somebody. I'm not sure what I called, but I went in there with somebody. No, Mahmoud. Oh, yes. Mahmoud Yama. Mm-hmm. I went in there with Mahmoud. And Jeremy Hemmings was in there, that coach for um, Brandon University. So Bob's like, hey, I didn't want to tell you over the phone, but, you know, he's from out west. You need a guard. He, he was at the time recruiting T-Bone, but T-Bone was a transfer from Arizona, so he had to sit out a year. Right. So he couldn't use T-Bone right away. So I was an exhaustion. So I worked out for the dude. He was impressed. We went down. We went down, down downtown somewhere to get, you know, get, get some food to eat. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, dude, I want you to come. I like what you bring, this and that, but nothing is given. Like, you have to earn everything when you show up. Right. So that was my next um, adventure. So I threw all my eggs in that basket and went after it. So, hold on. Back up a little bit. So you land, right? It doesn't work out at Penn. You land, and then Bob calls you right away to connect you with Brandon? Yeah. I, I might be having that backwards. I think I might have called him. Okay. Okay. And it was like, I told him what, you know, what had happened and whatnot. And then, you know, he hit, he hit me back when Henry was in town and I went in the gym and did what I had to do and that was that. So that's how Brandon came about. Okay. So before that happened, like before I actually went on a trip, I mean, mm-hmm. I was in the gym shooting around and I was talking to um, Mr. Clark, Jim, Jimmy. Right. And he was giving me a heads up. He's like, yo, we've all been through here. Be careful. Like he literally warned me as far as their lifestyle and the women, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you don't know until you're actually in there. Right, right. Yeah, that, but that's how Brandon happened, yeah? I'm trying to figure out, so you get to Brandon, the culture is totally different. Oh, yeah, culture shock, for sure. So how did you manage that? The reason why I'm asking you that is because a lot of young players today are going to go across the border somewhere, whether it's within the country or south of the border, and I kind of want to give them an idea as to what they might walk into, right? Um, so when you talk about culture shock, what does that actually mean? Oh, uh, man. So From your experience? More so, everything is going to differ from what you're used to, where you're from. So in, in, in the city I'm in, there's not a lot of people that look like me. Okay. So that's one that stands out. Two, we're almost... <clears throat> How do I put it? Like it's, it's like you're almost over celebrated because it's a small community. So you, you get a, a bit of that celebrity status vibe. Yeah, like it's so everything's easily accessible to you. The game is is like it's part of society over there, type of thing. It's it's part of the fabric. So it's not like Green Bay and football. You know what I mean? Got it. Got it. 
So that was a shock. You know, not being the, being a minority was a shock. But coming from Toronto, you know, we have a mix of everything here. Right. But actually going to stand it out somewhere in Canada blew my mind. I was like, wow, okay. I'm, I'm not well-traveled at all. Like, I didn't know, you know, there could be, you know what I mean? Like, all white neighborhood like this. Like, oh, sh- that, that, that kind of threw me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Being the first time I've been, been on my own, leaving home and all that. Right. So that threw me off. Being in the States wasn't like that. I mean, yeah, there was more white people than black people, but we didn't stand out. Right. But it, like, it, it, it blew my mind in Canada. I was like, wow, okay. Um, how the media works over there. Again, it's a small town, so you can't really get away with much. Mm. So being a, a pro athlete is kind of like a way of life. Got I it. mean, it's not like this paparazzi running around everywhere, but where the mouth is, it's faster than you think. Yeah. It's more effective than you think. Yeah. You might be over here doing something minuscule to you, but to him, her, and, and those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big deal. It's something different. So that, that the telephone, the neighborhood telephone starts working real fast. So in, in, in regards to um, hoop dreams, right? Mm-hmm. What would you do differently if you could and why? The hoop dreams, the chase. Um, I would have taken the books more seriously, to be honest with you, because the pen opportunity, I was only a few points short. Mm. That would have been four years guaranteed. You know what I mean? Like, right. And I was, I was heavily into um, architecture at that time. Like I love building. Yeah. So that would have been my major, and that would have just gotten me that degree, and I would like I would have been using that right now. Right. So I let that slip out. Mm. And then I had an opportunity out west in Brandon to learn music. That's why I jumped on the, that, that bandwagon so quick when I found out you were into that. Right. Like that was the first thing I wanted to do because Brandon is known for music. It's like one of the best schools for music. So that was one of the things I wanted to do there too. But you had to have the grade to do that. Right. So my minor was education. My major was business. But I wanted to switch the business to music. I didn't have the grades to do that. Well, once I learned that, I was like, okay, let me just do the basketball thing and see where I can go. So in in in, in retrospect, do you, do you have any regrets as to how things panned out? No, I wouldn't change anything, bro, like, to be honest. Okay. Because if I didn't get hurt, I don't even know where I would have went. Right. Because things were picking up. Everything was picking up. Momentum was picking up. Right. After my first year, coach was like, yo, you have a chance. Come back in shape. That's all you need to do. Come back in shape. Came back in shape. Like, I started off quick. Everything, like, I think it was the first 10 games, everything that I was showing was better than my first whole year. Mm-hmm. My numbers were better. I'm in shape. You know what I mean? I'm playing more minutes. And then, boom, a freak accident. Right. And at the same time, too, uh, there was a couple of us who had opportunity for an overseas gig. That was that wasn't a hush hush, but those that know know. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember when you came back. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't say much. You kind of stuck to yourself, you know, and you didn't want to do anything. You didn't want to leave the house. No. Right. And at that point, mom was already gone, and so I'm thinking to myself, well, 
he's he's got to do something, right? Yeah, but that was that, that was that the, the, the depression stage where it's like, okay, you know, when you think you know reality until it hits you in the face. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a relationship. I'm at school. I'm comfortable. You know what I mean. So I'm working through the injury. They want me to have surgery. I say no. Like when it comes to my body, I'm rebellious like that. Like if I'm not damaging it myself, you, I'm not gonna let you damage it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I refused the surgery. It was gonna be a longer rehab term. Okay. So I lost my partial scholarship. That means I have to start paying for my books mm-hmm. and my curriculum and everything. Like at first, my first year I paid for everything. The second year, my play improved so quick. Certain things was you know. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But since I refused the surgery, I was like, okay, cool, this is what's happening. All right. I'm doing this rehab thing kind of like on my own. You know, I can't really use the facilities as much because it's for players, for active players. Mm-hmm. And then through that, I just stopped going to classes. Like, I stopped going to classes. Now, was was that because you realize what you're not gonna be able to play? So someone's like, "What's the point?" And yeah, yeah, that deflating, that deflating moment. And then, you know, a couple close friends, and then a couple of uh, counselors is like, "Yo, you're right there. Like, if you graduate this year, stop it. Just get it done." I pretty much just graduated by that the hair, my skinny chin, chin there, one credit. Boom. Got it. I didn't even go for graduation. I didn't even get my certificate. None of that stuff. All, all that stuff was mailed to me. Mm. And on top of all of that, you know what I mean? Like, people you think are close friends and all of that is is, is nibbling and, and meddling in your relationship and shit. <laughs> right. So it was, a, it, was, it was a lot going on for me. Like, my head was all over the place. I figured that much. One day I just woke up, packed my shit. And left. And I was actually going to tell my girl that my plan. But in the in the middle of going to her house, I see my homeboy. This is early morning shit there. See my homeboy. I, I called her and told him I'm coming. And I guess she woke him up and told him to get the fuck out of there. Wow. So seeing that, like that same day I, I flew out. That's why I came back and I'm like that. It, was, it wasn't just not being able to do the basketball thing, you know. Right, but it was everything compounding. Now on top of that is, you know, your boy is messing with your girl. Like it, it was... There was a whole lot of shit going on. Right. And I didn't know where to turn and what to do. First time experience and all this shit. Yeah, I was, I was, I was numb to a lot of things. So, so I didn't know that. I didn't, I mean, you told me that later on, right? But I didn't realize that all of that kind of compounded to why you were in that state. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to, I want to throw a wrench in there and, and inquire because I'm curious as you're talking, I'm thinking about it. Now, what, while you were in that depressed state, did the thought or the memory of, you know, dad being absent ever creep in there? And did his absence ever affect you growing up? Hell yeah. So in, in what way? Because I don't know that. Like, I, I know I went through my own thing, but I'm curious to hear what you went through and when you went through them. Like, for me, it was just, I wish I knew. It was always, I wish I knew. I wish someone told me. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Knew what? Um, I'm getting there. Like, as far as just having to deal with certain, you know, adversities. Like, like he, 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 he always crosses my mind. Like, even, even to this day, you mean? Yeah, sometimes. Like, be like, okay, 
I wonder if he taught us or if he was around to pass something along during these tough times. We would kind of have an idea where to begin. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I always go through that. I always have those moments. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was more dealing with women. Right. From that angle and also the bullying, the, you know, the peer pressure stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, Nah, mom did most of the work, man. It's 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 funny because from grade from middle school, even nah, since we since I went to the first school in Canada for period, I was fighting people. Like I just because obviously I'm the minority in all the schools that I went to up until Ledbury. Yeah. Um Ledbury is where I saw most of the guys that went to Fleming. Yeah. Right? Um, that I knew anyway. So but even Ledbury was obviously it was a good mix. But I had to like I was literally fighting everybody just because I was angry, and I I couldn't figure out why I was angry at first. I realized it was it was because he wasn't there. And I don't know if you remember that that summer, a letter came to the house. Yeah, well, we were supposed to read it. Right. So mom's like, "Who wants to read this letter?" And what nobody wants to kind of read it, and. Finally, it was read. I can't remember who read it. I think she read it or somebody read it. I can't remember who. Somebody read it. Right. So, but what I remember from that letter that it never left me was there was no mention of me. So I was like, that solidified it for me. So going back to school, it confirmed for me why I was behaving that way. Mm. Right. And it, and it, and so mom didn't know this, but I spent my second semester of grade nine and pretty much 75% of my grade 10 year in the office of Mr. Um, James, his office, the, the vice president, uh, vice principal at the time. Wow. He had a desk in there for me. I didn't know none of this, bro. So every morning I would go in there and that was my home school, like my home class. Yo, hold on a minute. Like, I didn't know none of this, bro. <laughs> so like, cause it, so it was funny because like you don't come across like that type of student at all. Nah, I was I was angry, but I was quiet. So it was only it would only show up when you pushed my button that day. Like if I was in a mood that day and you, you said something wrong or you did something wrong or whatever, mm-hmm. you took my pencil. Then my initial reaction was not words. I didn't speak. I'm just hitting you. Oh shit! <laughs> so <laughs> so from then he said, you know what? Don't put him in a class. Just put him here with me. So if I showed up late, because I knew where I was going. So I'm like, I would show up late sometimes. And then he'd, he'd call. So it, it caught my eye when he, he pushed one button and mom was on the line. I'm like, yo, this guy has my number on speed dial. Yep. That's when it registered. I'm like, I don't want to be in this room with him every time. So, and then we had a, we had an older art lady. And then I found out um, shortly after I registered for art class, she passed away. She had an accident and, and she didn't, you know, um, make it. Rest in peace. And then in comes Miss um, Kelson. Oh, Miss Kelson. So through her is where the shift happened for me because she introduced me to Miss Waybrand, who was a typewriter um, teacher. And she was also um, um, a poet. I didn't know that. So I took her class. And the reason why I took the class because Miss Kelson told me I need to connect with her. And I also wanted to learn how to type. So I was in the class and I found out she's a poet. 
the connection there is what allowed me to get into poetry. So then the lady Yo, asked, the the the, ty- the typing teacher was she like European? Yeah, with with a thick accent. Um, no, she it wasn't thick. It wasn't thick. You're thinking about the the programming teacher. Yeah, that's the one I had. Yeah, it was a programming teacher. Um, I can't remember her name. It's not coming to me, but yeah. So wait, Waybrand was the one that you know gave me the opportunity because she knew I was an artist. So she's like, okay, can you design the cover of my, her second book? And she had given me a copy of her first book. So I was like, wait a minute. She's actually a poet and she has a book. She's official. So if I do the artwork, that gives me an opportunity. So that's when I started to take poetry more seriously. That's when everything took off for you though, because you kind of, like you were rubbing shoulders with actual people in the real world, bro. Right. But it was more, honestly, it was the conversations I had with Miss Kelson after school. Yo, yeah, this, this, Kelson, Kelson was a, a lifesaver, man. Like she, like, yo, that's a, that's a epitome of a teacher, bro. You, you see what I'm saying? So she would sit after school with me from 3.30 till about 6. And then from there, I would go to the center. And we would just talk, bro. Like just talk. And she's just trying to get me to find out ways to control my temper and this and that. And she's like, I, and so eventually we figured out that it was, it was the absence of dad. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, you know what? There's nothing you can do. You can't take it out on other people. So why don't you just, just write it, just write it out. Like when you're angry, just write it out. Say any and everything you want to say. Nobody has to see it. Just get it out that way. And that's what changed from me being somebody that's just getting in trouble every day to, yo, there were days I was suspended. I didn't even go home. I didn't, like, I wouldn't let mom know. So I would get up every day and just leave just to come back when she would think school's over. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't even know, bro. Like, I couldn't tell anybody. Yeah, like, I didn't <laughs> even know. That's crazy. Right? But that that's why I'm asking because it had an impact to the point where it was literally, like, like messing up my world because of his you know, like, you know absence. What my, you know what mine was, though? Mm. Like, once I started to get, like, once I started to hear the acknowledgement from the outside, like, yo, you're getting good. Yo, you're good. You're getting good. You're getting good. I would take it upon myself to skip school. Like, literally leave the house, like, every morning, like you're saying. Come back, change, when she's gone to work. I had a key. Fill up my duffel bag with this bullshit straight to the center mm. and just be in there. Anybody who's in there just playing, working on the craft, working on the craft. And then by three o'clock, three thirty, you know, you change, you go back home like you were dressed and she left. Mm. That was my thing. But yours might have been, you know, aggression and violence, but mine was okay. I figured out, okay, this is what I want to do. Like once I think, once I discovered Michael Jordan, yeah, there, that was it. Like, that was it. Like, this guy made everything worth it. <laughs> yep, yep. Because every time he saw him, he saw something new and he wanted to go try it. That's it. Now, how do you think mom did as a single mom of three? Dude, she's a superwoman. And as we're speaking, we weren't the consummate. Right. You know what I mean? We weren't following the rules like that. Now that we're adults, like real adults, bro, like I'm looking back and it's like, I couldn't do it with what she did. Yeah. She did she did a hell of a job, bro. Like she two boys. 
I mean, she she brought up Sylvia, so yeah. But two boys that you didn't really, you know, yeah. Like <clears throat> the connection was separated for eight years, man. Right. And then to reconnect and raise them again and give them the discipline needed in a new environment, dude. Like we literally we followed the blueprint, like we made it. It's just us making our own choices now, but we made it. Like we, we didn't get no criminal record. Even right. We were around all our friends yeah. who weren't straight. You know what I mean? Like we had our head on straight. She did a good job, bro. She did. She did her job. Yeah. Mom, mom is superwoman. And, uh, what type of, you know, what type of relationship did you have with yourself that you didn't have ten years ago? Like, what do you have with yourself now that you didn't have? 10 years ago? Oh, another good question. Damn. I have patience, time, love, understanding for myself. I have new interests that I didn't know I, I, I had. You know, I wouldn't say new. They've always been there, but I've never tapped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, not being so involved with friends. I'm not saying, you know, I don't need friends, but just not moving on the frequency of needing them around all the time. Right. To feel relevant. Right. That took a lot of work. Oh, sorry, what what inspired that change though? And how you, you saw yourself and even the friends? I would say it started with um Okay. To be honest. Because um even in my early years when I got the job, I'd be at work and I'd be thinking about what my boys are doing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I'm at work at these odd hours knowing these are the times Games are on. These are the times, you know, we're we're heading downtown doing some, you know, some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So the job trained me to not worry so much about friends because I started the job at night. I've been on off shift since I've never done nine to five. Yeah. So through that, not being available, the, the you know the un- unavailability itself trimmed the fat for me. You know, I wasn't hearing from people. I wasn't reaching out to certain people just because of the, the hours to strength. Right. But the ones I was still in touch with, you know, it was there, but I was forcing it. You know, every time I was free, sometimes I would not go to work just to hang out. Mm. I felt like I was missing something. Yeah. But then I had like a, a moment with a, a, an older dude at work and he's like, yo, you're doing everything you need to do to prepare yourself for the, the later run, the later stretch of the run, which is the game of life. You're in it right now and you can't really see it. You're preparing yourself. You can't see it if you're in it. He goes, you're an athlete, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay. Take a step back. So when you're in the bench, the dude that subs it for you doing the same thing that you're supposed to do. How do you, you know what I mean? Like you see it better. You, you understand it better as you watch it as opposed to as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of stuck with me for a little while and it was like, okay, I'm in it. So I can't really reflect yet. Right. So, you know, I wasn't feeling guilty as much not being seen or not reaching out or not, you know, people not calling. That became a norm. Those that did call, you know, you make sure you, you, you keep that energy going. Mm-hmm. And then through that, it just, you find more time to do more things as far as just growth, learning. So, 
on on that note, in learning, I, I noticed obviously in the last five to seven years, you tapped into this programming slash IT building servers world. Yeah. What sparked that interest? Mm. Man, you come up with these good questions, eh? <laughs> um, I've always been interested in the IT sector. So just dabbling there, just, you know, you know, looking looking at uh, certain new gadgets coming out, cell phone technology, and I came across Linux. And it was like, I keep seeing this, this penguin thing. What is this about? So I went down that rabbit hole, and lo and behold, like it just intertwined with the fibers that were just tingling in me at the time. You know, as far as the tech, the tech world is concerned, and where the cell phone technology was going and everything else, but because I found out that most or all cell phone technology is based off of Linux, mm. so that right there got me hooked. And then I was like, okay, what part of this phone I'm holding is Linux? So I would type that in the in the search engine, and then it'll pop up. And then I would go into the service sector and dig into that. I'm too deep to come out now, so I might as well keep exploring. Mm. What's your vision for the future and what role does IT play in it? Now, when I talk about the future, I'm talking about yours, not the world or... Well, for me now, with the little wisdom I've acquired, it's, it's more about trying to establish something to give back to the next generation. Like, it doesn't have to be through sport. It doesn't have to be through basketball. It doesn't have to, it's anything I could give back, man, because there's a lot of people still fighting to come up right. as far as this. This, this side of the world, this hemisphere, not all glamorous, but the fact that we were able to, you know, get the opportunity to be here and soak up everything we, we've been able to soak up. For me, the fourth industrial you know, revolution is the internet. We're all going to be surviving on it. So I just want my piece, my niche in it to help out, to give back, you know, we and to survive on it because that's, that's going to be our new world. The first industrial, you know, we invented the wheel the second, oil, the third, we came up with the electricity and all that. Now it's fourth, mm. which is the internet, the new frontier. So I felt like <laughs> there's no other place to, you know, tinker with than tech and the internet yeah. and service because most of us live online. Most businesses live online. Most businesses are hosted on servers. And that's been my approach ever since. Just trying to get a piece of that pie. It's, it's 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 crazy because even most homes are online. Online, on service, yeah. Right, so, yeah, we're definitely... You got, you got a whole neighborhood that if you didn't know, if you weren't told, like even for instance, like Chalk Farm right here, mm -hmm. this whole neighborhood, you see buildings, you see homes, you see lights, you see all that. In certain parts of the world, nobody lives in those buildings. It's just servers. Mm -hmm. It's a community of servers mm -hmm. powering the world, so... I just want a little piece of it. So when you when you look back on your journey, what are you most proud of about yourself as an individual? Um, I would say, man, that's a good question there. <laughs> I would say just not giving up, to be honest. Mm -hmm. That's that's critical, though. I mean, like when you think about it, you know, on average, uh, the number is pretty high. It's gone up over the years as far as people, you know, taking their lives and quitting on life and and whatnot. Yeah, right? I mean, like it. I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard road, though. Like, of course. I would say it's not, not throwing in the towel. It's, it's still motivation enough, you know? Yeah. You still find a way 
That's it's it's a huge accomplishment, uh, and I think about it too because it it is something that's real. Like when you turn around and you hear somebody just did this to themselves or their family members, and and then took their own life, or they just quit. Like to quit is is not easy. No, like a lot of people think quitting is easy. To quit is not easy. Like whoever quits on anything has to process why look at themselves and say, why am I doing this? Yeah. Is it more painful for me to do this than to stay? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not an easy decision. So I don't want people to think, oh, it's easy when people just quit. It's easy to quit. No, it's not easy to quit. Um, but one of my... F- that mental, yeah, that mental battle is not easy at all. Yeah, right? You know, uh, and you don't know how long they have to put up that fight for before they lost that fight. Yeah. You know, um, but one of my favorite lines, I think I think you can agree with this, is uh, 50 when he says, um, death's got to be easy because life is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when I the first time I heard that, I was like, yo, it's 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 in a lyric that's not, you know, it's music, it's hip hop and it's entertainment. But that one hit different when you heard that one. You're like, that's got to be easy because life is hard. Right. That's a lot of truth in that. Right. But at the same time. When you're alive is when you have the battle of, I want to quit, but I don't want to quit. I want to quit, but I don't. Right. And so during those moments, it's not death. Right. It's you're alive when you're, you're putting up that fight, you know? And so when it's over and the curtains are down, that's when it's, you know, then you can say it's easy because you don't know. You don't know what's happening if you were still here. Now, do you ever feel overwhelmed with life expectations as you get older? Yes, sir. Explain. Like, uh, the realization, like, when it hit home for me, when I realized that you're no longer JoJo, you're no longer Joseph, you're no longer who you think you are, you're just a sin number. Mm. When that thing hit home, I was like, wow. You know, you come from a situation where it's like, okay, every time, like, I mean, this is, this is like small town stuff I'm talking about. Right. This ain't no D1. This ain't no NBA. This, like, this ain't no none of that stuff. Talking small town stuff there. Mm-hmm. Where you leave the compound of the school and you notice. Know you know what I mean? Like, it don't matter where you are in the city, somebody will recognize you. Mm-hmm. To come, like, or to leave that environment and then you come back to, your, you know, your regular city, your home, and not to be acknowledged, that takes some use, getting used to, right? Literally. Right. And you, 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 like you go through that enough to understand that you ain't nothing but just a piece of the puzzle. You know what I mean? Mm. And that reality hits real quick. Right. Because at a certain age, you look at to produce. No one's looking to help at that point. Mm-hmm. You're, you're of age to produce. And that was a harsh reality to go through. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. No. I also know that you want to go back home. Yes, sir. How close are you to making that happen for yourself? Uh, I'm not near where I want to be right now, but the process is ongoing. Mm -hmm. You know, the process is still ongoing. Um, I got a few contacts back home that I should be more contact with, but, you know, I'm slacking on my end. But um, with what's going on right now with the COVID and everything, bro, it's inevitable, like, we all got to make decisions. Either you're going to sit here with the tyranny or, you know, you're going to find another solution. And for me, I'm I'm working towards another solution. 
So what are some of your intentions when you do go back home? Oh, um, for me, the server, the server game is, is my bread and butter right now. I'm um, trying to go establish some type of network over there, you know, some type of infrastructure over there where I'm helping out in the economy. You know, I'm, I'm hosting websites, mm-hmm. pushing up websites, um, you know, bringing in products, whatever it is I can do to help right. that sector, that e-commerce sector, the entrepreneur sector. Perfect. So that's what it's about right now. There's too many young, young cats back home not, not having the opportunity. It's, it's kind of sad. Right. But we have the abundance over to here, and a whole bunch of us don't even acknowledge it, don't want it, right. don't have time for it. So I kind of want to implement, you know, like the community center aspect that we have here back there, mm. where it's like a hub. You can come in and get anything done. Doesn't matter what you're, just you know, you specialize in. Mm-hmm. So pretty much that's what I'm trying to do back there, and then on top of that, or with that, a little bit of farming. Okay. Because the fertile land is there, so you might as well use it. Right. It makes no sense to import tomatoes to Africa. Right. Come on. So I'm at the segment of the show where I shake things up. It's called Thinking Out Loud. I'm going to ask you the most random question. <laughs> and you got to pick one. You ready? <laughs> yep. You know, you laugh and you get in. I know it's a messed up, messed up thing coming. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Would you rather your only mode of transportation be a donkey <laughs> or a giraffe? <laughs> Yo, you a silly boy. A donkey yeah, or yeah, a giraffe? You got to pick one. <laughs> All right. Give me a giraffe. Why? <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather look good traveling. <laughs> look good on a giraffe. <laughs> a donkey is too low to the ground. Anybody can mess with me. This guy is killing me. A giraffe is nice and high up, and he has a graceful, you know, graceful guy. And if I take out one kneecap, you're done. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long fall, no. you know. <laughs> that's, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm high up on things, man. With the graceful drive. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm chilling with a donkey, man. I'm chilling with a donkey. I'm afraid of heights. Oh, I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> I'm not going up there. <laughs> wow, you're joking. What's your hurry? Donkey's going to get you on the donkey, be, But he ain't going nowhere. Donkeys don't move. You do realize that, right? That's my point. I'm going to get a giraffe, then. Bro, glide, looking good, gracefully. <laughs> and I'm clean. I ain't getting no, 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 no. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> nah, I throw, I throw those in there just to break the tension up a, bit, a little bit. Um, oh, that's funny. Huh? We're, we're nearing the end of the episode, but now I have a few more questions. Which do you believe holds more value, okay? Um, education from institutions or... Lived experiences. Oh, lived experiences, bro. Wisdom. Um, because going through it is actually the lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, reading and typing and writing and regurgitating is, is an exercise of it's not the actual thing. Mm. You know, so I think going through it, anybody going through something, you learn something from it. You take something yeah. away from it. 
every one of us reading, reading something or being told something or being shown something, we don't take the exact same thing away from it. Right. It's like, yeah, I hear you. I know. Okay. You know, vaguely. But when you go through it, it's like, hmm. Yeah, you can't. You can't tell me nothing else. I experienced it. There's a big difference. Now, could you share an important life lesson that you've learned over the years? <laughs> wow. How do I word this? Best way you know how. An important life lesson. Like, I'm thinking about this one hard. That's good. I was like, the first instant that came was, yo, a friend is going to kill you faster than a speeding bullet. Mm. I would say relationships are important. Okay. And treat them delicately. Because as you get older, you don't know who you're going to need and who's going to need you. When it's, when it's all said and done, how would you want to be remembered? Forget that. How would you want me to remember you? Oh, when it's all said and done, bro, just think of me as your corny, quirky, silly, loving, caring, older brother, man. Like, I'm really simple. You know that. Like, when you break me down to the minerals, like, I don't say much. I don't really do much. But I care. You know what I mean? Like, I show, I show how I feel. I can agree with that. Now, before we wrap things up, can you leave our listeners with a statement to guide them on their journey? Any words of wisdom that you can leave them with? Oh man, it's been a great part so far. Like it's been it's been a nice nice conversation with you, man. And some good questions. Um, so the one thought I would leave with the listeners would be it may it may come off a little a little rough, but to each his own, man. Like Believing yourself, your your abilities, who you are, you know, your being, like just believing in self is all. And once you understand that and everything else, I think falls in place. Just believe in yourself. Like it's literally not just a cliche. That's what's up. I appreciate that, man. Um, Before I sign off, I just want to thank the listeners for tuning in every week and checking out the episodes. I know you're getting something out of it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be coming back. Uh, Don't be selfish. Please do share it with people who are like-minded like yourself. Uh, Make sure you download Podbean to make sure you get involved with the conversation. Uh, I do read the comments and I do reply. So make sure you hit me up there. The show is available on all platforms. Make sure you follow on IG. And also don't forget to follow Gray Miles Publishing. Check out the website to pick up a copy of your children's book, The Best of Gray, as well as the poetry books. Um, you know, Tears Before the Rain is uh, one of my, you know, good friends who's also an author. Her book is on there as well, so pick it up, as well as my poetry book, Scriptures from the Sidewalk. Before I let my brother go, just want to let him know that I love him. I love you. Love you too, brother. I appreciate you taking the time to, to you know, chop it up with me. Um, and I think what I, I really appreciate about this conversation tonight, which is different from all our other conversations, is the fact that, you know, the world gets to hear it. Um, not just, you know, within our own walls and, and things like that. So um, I, that means a lot to me as well. I'm sure it means something to you, but... You know, there'll be more of these conversations because I know I didn't go in depth about certain scenarios, but there'll be opportunities for that. But without further ado, until next time, love, 
peace and nappiness. 